0: This is Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Mitch LaFawn. Welcome to this episode of Rock Talk with Mitch LaFawn. Uh, joining me on this episode it is a working musician and drummer, Ron Wisco. He has toured and recorded with Foreigner, Richie Sambora, David Lee Roth, Cher, and many more. And, and you know, every so often on this show, I, I got to bring you one of these working musicians that, that are in the trenches. Sorry, Ryan Roxy, but they're in the trenches. And, you know, you don't know their names, but when you go see uh, one of your favorite bands, they're there. They're in the background. They're, they're taking care of business. And Ron's one of these guys. Now, what, what I found interesting in Ron's story is somewhere around 1995, 1996, he went into the studio with Mick Jones, Lou Graham, and the rest of Foreigner, and they recorded a new Foreigner album. And then Lou got sick And those songs have never come out. So we're going to talk about that. And I've had a chance to hear those songs. And they are just great foreigner songs. You know, if you like Mr. Moonlight, you would like these songs. So hopefully someday um, they will be released and uh, fans will have a chance to hear them. They are currently unreleased and and sitting in people's hard drives. But uh, there you go. And this episode... I will, as much as possible, try to do it rant-free, but there are some things that go on behind the scenes that just drive me nuts. Uh, you know, the last episode I talked about bands saying, well, if you talk to the ex-member, you can't talk to us. It's like, oh, get get over it, you know, get over yourself, you know. Uh, this time, the, um, I was invited to a show. As a, as a media person, come out to this show as a media person. It was set up through the publicist, and I did an interview with the, the, the artist that was performing. And somewhere in between, a friend of mine phoned and said, hey, are you going to this show that's coming up in uh, Montreal? And I went, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, oh, well, you know what? He's managed by the same person that I managed by, and I've got some backstage passes, and why don't you come with me? Uh, we'll, we'll go back there. So I get to the show and I meet my buddy and he gives me the passes and so on and so forth. And the publicist uh, was there and comes running over. Now, I'm alone here. My buddy's not with me. He comes comes running over and says, you know, if you wanted backstage assets, you could have just asked me. And I went, well, I, I said, I didn't even ask. Uh, it was my birthday recently and, uh, my buddy said, Hey, I'll be at the show. Well, you know, why don't you, you know, you always have me backstage. It's my turn to pay you back. Why don't you just come and I'll get you these passes. I never requested it. I never asked. I never reached out. I didn't send an email. I made no phone calls. It was offered. And so I say, I say, listen, it was offered. And the person goes on and on and on about, no, 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 if, if, if you want to be backstage, you know, all you had to do was ask. And I'm thinking, why am I getting, why am we having this conversation? If it was so easy for me to get access, well, then why didn't you just offer? Why does it have to be this kind of game where I, where you have to come and say, oh, could I pretty please have some app passes Well, if you were going to grant it, well, why don't you just offer? (laughs) Right? And so now I'm being berated because my friend was being nice to me. My friend decided, I will set you up because you have set me up for all kinds of other stuff, uh, you know, all these other bands. When I have a chance, I, I, I take him as the, as the plus one and stuff. And now I'm being berated because he did something nice for me. And and so that that's sort of the power struggles that go on in this industry, that you always have to acquiesce to people's position of power. You always have to get on your knees and 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 go, "Oh, thank you so much." You know, bugger off. If it was so easy, just offer it. And if and if it wasn't in your power to offer it and somebody else set it up, well then just go, "Hey, that's kind of cool that you got here." So, it, it's just it's just mind-boggling that this stuff goes on. It it it's ridiculous. You know? You interviewed my ex-drummer. I'm not going to talk to you. Well, okay. Fuck off. (laughs) Fuck you, then. I don't want to talk to you, then. You're backstage because your buddy set you up, but you should have gone through me. No. No, I shouldn't have. (laughs) You know? There was another one. Um, I think I talked about this on the last episode, but I I was at a show, and there was a poster on the wall of an upcoming show, and I said to the person... Who was the uh, publicist and stuff? I said, I said, oh, so and so is coming. That'd be a great show to cover. And without missing a beat, the person said, don't even ask me. The show is sold out. Uh, the artist is refusing to do interviews. It's nothing going to happen. So don't even bother asking me. Like straight to my face. And I hadn't even asked. All I had said was, oh, that's kind of cool that this person's coming. And about two weeks before the show, the band's publicist from New York sent me an email and said, hey, the band's coming to town, would you like to check it out? And I wrote back and said, sure, absolutely. So I went to check out the show, it was a great show, everybody had a good time, took my wife, and about three days later, the local person wrote and said, hey, if you wanted to go see the show, you should have gone through me, that's how it works, you go through the local promoters, you don't go through publicists, and it's just like, I didn't go through anybody, I was solicited, they sent me an email and said, we have an artist coming to your town. Would you like to go? And out of courtesy, I replied, yes, I would. That is all. But there is this, I'm telling you, there are these gatekeepers or pseudo gatekeepers. They want to be gatekeepers who want to have this absolute power over you for no reason. And to all of them, go fuck yourself. Sorry for swearing folks. I normally don't, don't swear, but you know what? <laughs> I've had it. I've had it with these with these gatekeepers. Go fuck yourself. Don't bother me. All right? The fact is is in this business for any show, any record, any interview, there's about 18 fucking people that send you an email or send you a text or send you something and say, "Would you like to?" And I will. I have and I will continue to reply to everybody. Because I'm courteous. You know, there is nothing worse than when... I, I Listen, I send out a bunch of emails sometimes, and you don't hear back. Hey, can I interview this band? Never hear a thing. Hey, can I review this record? Never hear a thing. Yeah. And that to me, that's rude. So you write me an email and say, hey, would you like to? I'm, I'm going to write back and say yes. Yes, yes, I'm going to say yes. Or I'm going to say whatever. I'm going, But I'm going to reply, because I reply. And if 10 of you send me an email for the same artist or the same album, well... You figure it out. You get together, have a committee, have a conference call, and figure out who's doing what. Um, you know, I have to say this, there's one publicist, and I, and I, I'm not, I, I don't want to name names normally, but this time I'm going to name names, and she's great. She's called Heidi, and she handles Anthrax and Dirty Honey and a bunch of other stuff, and she's real simple. She goes, everything goes through me. Don't write Charlie Benente. Don't write uh, Frank Bello. Don't write uh, Mark LaBelle. Don't write. You write me. And it's perfect. The system is perfect. It's not broken. She also handles Ghost. Everything that is Ghost, Anthrax, Dirty Honey, and all the other bands. Slayer, go through her. There's no record labels. There is no public. There's no, publi- there's no uh, other publicists. There's no bandmates. You want to go to one of those? It goes through her. And the system is perfect. It is perfect. You never get an email going, hey, you shouldn't have talked to... no, Nothing. It's Heidi emails you, you email Heidi, and it's perfect. It's glorious. And if everybody operated like Heidi, this would be the most perfect job to have, because everything would be straightforward. And there's no power play, and there's no you have to beg, You're, there's no you have to get on your knees and, and say a prayer. You write her, and if she says yes, it's yes. And if she says no, it's no. And it's clear. Ah, clear. Ah. And there's no there's no power play. If she can do it, and if it makes sense to, for her to do it, if it's in her purview, it'll get done. And if it means an interview, it means an interview. And if it means going backstage, it means going backstage. And if it means tickets to a show, it means tickets to a show. And if it means a physical copy of a CD, it means a physical copy of the CD. There's none of this. Well, you should have had the... No, uh, uh, oh, stop it. Stop it. Anyway, so... I said no rants, but there was my rant. Anyway, I, I'm at this show and I'm being berated because my friend invited me. Ugh. Stop, 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 stop. Anyway... Without further ado, drummer, or at some point drummer, for David Lee Roth, Richie Sambor, Foreigner, and more, here is Ron Wisco.
1: We're speaking with drummer Ron Wixo. Uh, Ron, pleasure to speak with you.
0: Hey, great
2: great to speak with you as well. Thanks yes, for having me.
1: Absolutely. So let me, let me explain to fans why I thought it would be great to have you on. You have toured with... Richie Sambora from Bon Jovi, which is uh, I'm a big, big, big fan of of the band. Uh, also David Lee Roth, which I of course uh, love and admire. His time with Van Halen um, and Forner, and a lot more. So let's uh, and 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 of course you've completed a new album, a Greg Rolie solo record that includes uh, among others uh, Steve Lukather, Neil Sean, Alfonso Johnson, and a bunch of others. Uh, so welcome. Let, let's let's get started with all of this. Where where do you want to go first? Anywhere you want. <laughs> Anywhere you want. All right. So, let, let, real quick, you have uh, you have two new projects. There. One is um, Marcy. So so just quickly mm-hmm. talk to me. Who is Marcy? What's her project and where can folks get her? Cuz then I want to get into the the juicy details of David Lee Roth and Slash and Foreigner and <laughs> okay. and the unreleased yeah. Foreigner album. So let's let's get into all of this.
2: All right. Well, uh with Marcy, um uh, Marcy's uh I was introduced to Marcy uh, originally by a guy named Kirk Griffey who uh I've worked extensively with. He's a great guitar player. Uh, he plays with CCR right now, but he worked with us in Greg Raleigh's band for probably 10 years or so. Uh, and I've, I've also worked with him with other people like Randy Meiser from the Eagles and Denny Lane from Wings. You know, we've done a bunch of stuff with, that Kurt and I both were involved with. Uh, and Kurt and Marcy grew up together. Uh, they they grew up in a small town in Iowa called Red Oak. Um, and so anyway, you know, I met Marcy a, a couple times and now we're... Uh, we're together. She's my Valentine, I I guess you'd call her. (laughs) Um, and, but we, Marcy's always loved music and she's a great singer and, um, she never really had an opportunity to do anything. So she, uh, um, you know, we, we were messing around in my studio and, you know, just kind of started recording just some things, just, just for the heck of it, you know, nothing, not with any sort of project in mind. And, um, she's, she kind of, uh, gravitated towards music that she felt were, was, uh, for her, at least was comforting to her and, you know, in some stressful times and she's had, you know, some illnesses in the family and some, you know, her dad passed away. And so, so music has always been something that, that really kind of helped her through some of those things. So we made some music. Um, the, the first record we did was called covers of comfort, which is basically cover songs that. Kind of, you know, uh, we're on her sort of comfort playlist, if you want to call it that. You know, that she thought maybe some other people might also enjoy. You know, it's not a rock record; it's not anything like stuff I've done with David Lee Roth or any of that. It's it's songs like you know, Hallelujah and uh, Make You Feel My Love, which is a Dylan song, and things like that. And uh, we got some great musicians. Uh, um, Kurt is playing on it. And, uh, uh, Tom Evans, who plays sax with the Eagles, he's playing on it. And, uh, he's also worked with you too and Carly Simon and all kinds of people. And, um, Wally Minko is an amazing Grammy nominated, uh, keyboard player. He, he, he also worked in Greg's band, but he's worked with John Anderson from Yes, and John McPonty and pink and Tony Braxton and just a ton of people. And, uh, uh, anyway so it's a it's a great collection of musicians and marcy's singing on it it's the first time she's ever done anything like that and and basically we you know we were we're trying to you know appeal to people who maybe need a little you know comfort in their life or whatever it's like i said it's not a rock rock record um but it's it's diverse uh in, in you know in terms of what I guess I would be known for. Um, And, you know, and and so, uh, you know, I I produced it for her and and, uh, it's a project that we're doing together and uh, you can get it. It's on iTunes. It's on uh, Spotify. It's on, uh, you know, her website, which is Marcy Requist, M-A-R-C-Y-R-E-Q-U-I-S-T dot com. And uh, yeah, that's that's basically what we're doing.
1: Yeah, and that that's a it's a it's an inspirational album and I, I certainly recommend folks check that out now one of the reasons uh, that we started talking that we got talking over the the last few months was this foreigner record that that was done back in I guess what was it 96 97 something like that it was it, well
2: the tracks that I did um, were done in 96 right before we did a tour um, it was foreigner, Ario, Speedwagon, and uh, Peter Frampton, and uh, this was, I would guess, I'm going to say March or April. I don't know exactly, but it was done at a studio in Rochester called the Studios at Linden Oaks, because Lou is from Rochester, as you probably know. And uh, so we went up there, and we spent, I don't know, a week or two at this studio recording these tracks. And uh, there are five tracks that I remember four of which I have copies of with vocals. The other one didn't ever have a vocal on it that, that I know of. Um, and, you know, I don't, I don't know what, what if anything they're ever going to do with them, but I thought the songs were really cool. And of course it was fun, fun to do, you know, great musicians, great, uh, being on a record with a singer like Lou Graham and a guitar player like Mick Jones is always a joy for me. You know, It
1: really is. I so mean. so let me just look at it from from the, the timeline. Uh, the band puts out in 91, Unusual Heat with a new singer. Uh, mm-hmm. Lou Graham's doing Shadow Kings and some solo stuff. And they finally managed to get back together in 94 for Mr. Moonlight. And then, whoops, nothing comes out until uh, 2009's Can't Slow Down. But here in 96, you're recording an album, and you're four songs in, five songs in. uh, And I've had a chance, actually, myself to hear the songs. They sound spectacular. I mean, they are absolutely foreigner songs. But what happened? Why did the plug get pulled? Were they just demos that were just gonna be in demo form? Were they actually working towards an album and then and then something happened, the record company money dries up, the band starts having fights, the 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 weather changed. Like why did the project stop?
2: Well, you know, I, I don't know all the particulars but but the main thing that happened was when Lou got sick. He got the brain tumor the following year. Um, so we did those recordings and then the recordings sort of just sat there and I, I think that I don't know this for sure. Cause you know, I don't, you know, I don't, I don't get all the details, but I think that Nick and Lou continued to write maybe, but we were on tour, you know, that whole, that whole rest of that summer. And then even later that uh, like, I, I think November, December, we did some, some other shows, some smaller shows on our own. Uh, and then we did a couple shows in early 97, but, uh, when Lou got sick, it was April of 97, as I recall. And, uh, we were getting ready to, uh, go to Japan. In fact, when I got the phone call, um, they didn't actually tell me what, why, but they said, don't go to the airport tomorrow. I mean, I was literally was packed and ready to go. Our production manager was in Japan. Our gear was in Japan. We were getting ready to go there, and they pulled the plug because, you know, as we all know now, that that was when he was diagnosed with the with the brain tumor, and then he had to have surgery and all that stuff. So, so once that happened, you know, the rest of the year, whatever touring we had planned uh, for that year, all got canceled, and we basically had the year off. I went to Lou's wedding, which was later, uh, I think it was August of ninety seven. But by that time, he'd been through a lot of treatments, and you know, he. you know, gained a lot of weight and everything. So, you know, basically the band just went on hold because of his illness. That's, that's really, what I think was the driving factor with everything, you know, having the the, the plug pulled on everything. Uh, and then the following year, um, that was when I got called to do the Sambora thing and, you know, nothing was happening with foreigners still. So I, I did that. And then, then they did decide to do something, but I was working with Richie. So that was when, uh, Brian Titchie was asked to take my place. Um, and then, but then there still was no recording with Lou. He wasn't, I I don't think he was, you know, ready for that yet. You know, I think it was, uh, kind of a task anyway, just from a physical standpoint, for him to be even able to go out and and tour. It was amazing that he did, uh, you know, and uh, amazing the comeback that he's had since then. He's, you know, Lou is a great guy. I I love the guy and just the fortitude that he's had to overcome what he did is amazing. You know, to me, there's no, there's no other Lou Graham, (laughs) you know? So, but anyway, I'm off off on a tangent, but that's my basic uh, understanding of what happened.
1: Now, um, is it okay for me to to mention the names of the songs that that were recorded, or, or is that sort of still a sort of a, a secret at this point? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I, you know, I, they're
2: not my songs. I didn't write them, so I don't have any rights to any of them. I, you know, uh,
1: I, I I don't know what okay, the answer so, to that question. So is. so so we'll leave it at that. The, but but the, the they they were there. They do sound like foreigner, and they came out after Mister Moonlight and. I know that as we move forward in 2019 the band is moving forward with a whole bunch of releases there there's a show from 1978 that's coming out um uh from what I'm told Vivian Campbell of Def Leppard was in Rochester recently uh tightening up some some leftover Shadow King stuff so so there's wow. it, yeah so there should it should be a great uh, 2019 for Foreigner Fans. So let, let's get over to, to Richie Sambor. You're on the Undiscovered Soul uh, tour. Uh, by the way, that mm-hmm. album is fantastic. I mean, if, if you look yeah. at some of those songs, um, uh, Made in America, If God Was a Woman, and, and, and I mean, just incredible stuff. Talk to me about working with Richie, because... He leaves Bon Jovi or he, he takes a break from Bon Jovi. They come back. They do these days. They, they they go back on tour. And then there's still some some leftover animus and let's go back out and do some solo stuff. He does a soulful, soulful record, bluesy soulful record. Uh, yes. How did the hookup with, with Richie come in? You know, you're waiting around with Foreigner. Does Richie call you? Does your agent go looking for a gig for you? How does that? connection to the Bon Jovi world come up
2: well the connection to Richie and the whole Bon Jovi world goes back to when I was with Cher okay I put I played with Cher starting in 1989 for I don't know four or five years or something like that and uh, you you may you may recall that Cher and Richie dated and uh, so uh, Richie was around a lot and uh, and we had a lot of our crew was Bon Jovi crew guys like our tour manager was Paul Kerzelius, who works for Bon Jovi. And and we had a whole bunch of people, you know, uh, lighting, carpenters, and sound people, and all that stuff that were from the Bon Jovi world. And uh, we even had Hugh McDonald, who was the bass player, for a large period of time that I was in Cher's band. In fact, the um, Live at the Mirage, um, which is a DVD video or whatever, Hugh is the bass player on that. And I'm, I'm the drummer and, and Dave Amato from Mario Speedwagon is the guitar player on that. And, uh, so, uh, anyway, and and Richie's even in, in that video, there's a, a couple of cuts of him, you know, backstage with Cher. <laughs> so anyway, so I knew Richie for a long time and then, uh, you know, fast forward to, uh, 98, he just called me out of the blue. I, th- I don't know. I think he may have, uh, asked Dave, or, you know, he's pretty close friends with Dave Amato, and uh, he may have asked Hugh or something, but he just called me and said, hey, yeah, I'm going to do this tour. You want to do it? <laughs> so I was like, sure, absolutely. I, I always loved Richie, because he, he came and played with us a bunch of times with share, and he's got such a soulful voice and such a great spirit. You know, he's always you know laughing and joking, and, and he, you know, you see that smile on his face, and that's how he is, and that's at least how he was when I was around him. And that's how he was playing you know uh, you can find some youtube videos from that that uh, tour that i did uh there's a couple from japan and uh, anyway you know he he just is uh, uh really fun to play with and and so that's the connection i i uh, i knew him from share and, and he called me and i did it. it's one of the few gigs tours that i i did where i didn't have to audition <laughs> so yeah that's where it came from
1: wow that, that's that's great and you know i, I never actually knew that um, Yui played with Cher. I, I guess I should have, because I'm a huge U fan. In fact, I, I had a nice chat with him one time backstage. He's a he's a, he's really an accomplished uh, musician. And what a lot of fans don't know is that. Most of the Bon Jovi records, it's you playing, but sh- don't tell anybody.
2: Um, <laughs> it's, it's all the Bon Jovi records, <laughs> as far as I know.
1: Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> all of them. And uh, Alec was more of sort of the live face because he had a better sort of. Uh, uh, you was a great guy, great thing, but but his his face for the public was was sort of like you know the coach, and that's not what they were trying to sell back then, of course.
2: Right, which is, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> uh, he and he was just a consummate bass player he's he's just so good and and uh he's on tons of other records too like you know he's on Ringo Starr and Alice Cooper Alice and, Cooper yeah you know, uh, just tons and tons of records as a session guy and uh that's where he started with Bon Jovi from what I understand you know he was on Runaway or something they were like yeah
1: uh, he session, was
2: ru- session he, stuff.
1: he was the first guy on the first album him him Chuck Burgey and uh Aldenova all the way yeah. back to to back. I would love to get you on the phone actually for an interview. I I just think that his stories would be absolutely fascinating. But I'm I'm assuming that the Bon Jovi stuff is under an NDA. So, but still, but yeah, um, I don't know. But talking about he's a about, hilarious guy too. Oh, absolutely. He's um, one of my one of my good friends. I just hung out with him at
2: Nam a couple well, a few weeks ago, and we had dinner, and he's just so funny. <laughs> he's well, a good, great guy.
1: Let him know that I'd love to talk to him. But uh, just quickly with the undiscovered soul stuff, um, and I'm just looking at the track listing because I have it. In, I actually have it on my phone. Um, hard times come easy. So talk to me about those songs because when you went out there, you you had to play some of the Bon Jovi songs. What were sort of the, the 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 instructions for you? Was it hey, try to get into the feel and groove of Tico Torres and let's make these Bon Jovi songs with Richie singing? Or was there more of a freedom, like, hey, let's try to sort of soul these up or blues these up, or uh, what was sort of the 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 approach? Well,
2: well Richie, yeah, he was he's a he, he's a musician. He he wasn't like trying to dictate. Obviously, there are things. The way I approach anything, whether it's Farner or David Lee Roth or Richie or whatever, if, if I'm learning the the song, I you know, there's certain things that are kind of like signature parts if you want to call them that you know uh that you kind of have to play unless you just completely change the arrangement like when we played living on a prayer um with richie it wasn't the it wasn't the re- version that's on the slippery wet record it was uh you know it was like a slower version that he did um which so there's more license to to kind of do your own thing on that but he didn't like dictate you know you have to play exactly what tico played or whatever you know um, just as long as you have the right feel and, you know, we, the band itself had its own feel too, you know, with, between all the musicians that were were playing and Richie singing and playing guitar, you know, just, I don't think it sounds, you know, exactly like a Bon Jovi record, but it's got, it's got the, you know, the parts, like when we play bad medicine, you know, there's certain parts that I, I played because they're part of the song, you know um, but hopefully I, you know, was able to put my own, Feel in it as well, you know. I think uh, that's kind of that's kind of like it's sort of a marriage between you know the the feel that you want to bring that that's you with what needs to be there that you know makes it that song kind of if, if, if that makes any sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um,
1: were you on the um, the the rocking the troops CD that he did in two thousand five, or were you? No, no. no. Okay. Because I love the way he approaches the songs. He really does sort of make them his own and and slows them down. Now, uh, another thing that's coming out in May is the Greg Raleigh solo record. He is currently touring with Neil Sean in Journey Through Time. Um, Mm -hmm. Talk to me about that record and, of course, having Steve Lukather on there, having Neil Sean on there, and, and Steve Lukather in particular. Here's a guy who has probably played... Credited or uncredited on 500 albums, and not even facetiously. Probably that yeah,
2: many. I wouldn't be surprised if it's a thousand.
1: Right, guys everywhere. <laughs> uh, so, so talk to me about this record. So, is Greg making sort of um, uh, an attempt at making another Journey record? What What is it sonically like? And what was it like having Steve there and Neil there and Alfonso Johnson there? Talk Just quickly talk to me about that project. What's its name, by the way? What is the project's name? Do we know?
2: Um, I believe he's going to call it Sonic Ranch. And okay. that's named after the studio where we where we cut most of the basics. Um, and that's a studio that is uh, outside of El Paso, Texas, on a big, giant pecan farm. <laughs> it's, it's an amazing studio, actually. There's like three or four or five. I don't know how many studios on this property. And, uh, I guess I think the guy that owns it is like a music lover and he just loves all this. He's got an amazing vintage guitar collection. And you, 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 go there and you stay at, they've got like a, you know, some rooms there in a, in a house and you stay there. And, and, uh, we recorded in this gigantic room. Um, I don't know how big it is. It's like this, like a warehouse or something. And, um, with a really nice control room. And uh, I, I forget what kind of console was in there. Um, I think it was an SSL, but I don't know. Anyway, um, that's where we cut most of the basics for, for that record. And it was done over a quite a long period of time. We started it a few years, years ago. Um, and then, you know, we, between touring with Greg and then Greg started doing Ringo's project. And then he started, uh, he, in, in the middle of all that, they did Santana four, So a lot of things got put on hold over the course of this making this record. Um, so that's why it's taken so long to get it to be released. Um, and, uh, so, so some of the recording, you know, it was, it was just me, Greg Alfonso and a a guitar player named Alan Haynes, who's from Austin where Greg and I both live. And, uh, so we did a lot of that stuff. And then the stuff that Lukather played on, unfortunately, I was not there when he did it. Uh, Greg just sent him the tracks. And, and Steve, from what I understand, got together with uh, you know whoever engineers his stuff and, and put the guitar stuff on as an overdub after after we uh, had the basics on on the two songs that he played on but boy did he play great he's such a spectacular guitar player i I just can't say enough good things about the way he plays Uh, and for me as you know being such a fan of his and all the stuff that he's done over the years uh, you know i'm just thrilled to be on a couple of tracks that he's on. <laughs> so it's great. And of course, you know, I've done several records with Greg. I co-produced, uh, roots and then, uh, rain dance, which was a live record. Um, and Alfonso's on that. So this is the third solo record of Greg. And of course we did storm together, which is where I met Greg um but anyway neil is on the roots cd as well so this isn't the first time i've been on it but it was the same type of thing uh where we where greg sent neil the tracks and he put his stuff on so we were you know when i recorded that stuff neil and steve weren't in the studio when we did it um they did their stuff as overdubs but you know i mean it's greg's they're, they're all songs that he wrote and um it's not like the roots record was sort of, you know, kind of the reason it's called roots is going back to Santana roots. You know, so there's a lot of Latin percussion and stuff like that on that. Uh, there's not as much as that on this record. Um, it's more of like, uh, you know, uh, there is actually, we, we, we did redo, um, look into the future, which is an early journey song that's on the record. And then there's a bunch of stuff that's, I don't know how to describe it. I guess it would be more in the rock genre, um, uh, than the Latin type genre, but I wouldn't call it journey ish. You know, um, it's, it's got some elements of that. Cause you know, that's, that's, that's where Greg is comes from, you know, but, uh, I wouldn't call it a journey record, at a, you know, by any stretch, but, But it's, you know, it's really good. I think some of the songs are really good. I think there's a lot of great playing out. For those of you who don't know, Alfonso Johnson is an amazing bass player. He played with Weather Report and he's on a ton of records. Phil Collins, and he was in Santana for a long time. And he was in the Greg Raleigh band for probably 10 years or something. So, you know, we all worked together quite a bit. Um, And, you know, there's a whole other cast of characters. I can't even remember all the guys who were on it, but... um, you know, there's some great musicians. Kurt's playing some guitar. Rocket Rashad played on one song. Uh, Rocket and I played with David Lee Roth together, and uh, he's on a ton of different things as well. Now, so there's, there's...
1: yeah, it's, it's going to be it's going to be uh, spectacular when that comes out. Now, I I did want to ask you about CCR, Clear, uh, credence, a Clearwater revisited, and I want to ask, but but just before we move on. Um, There is, I forgot because we talked about unreleased records with Foreigner, there is an unreleased, and I'm going to call it an unreleased Richie Sambora live record from the uh, Paradiso in Amsterdam, Holland. Um, When was that recorded exactly? Around what year? And and sort of what was the plan for it? And, And do we know why it never came out?
2: I don't know why it never came out. That was okay. recorded, uh, on our tour when we were in Europe, obviously in Amsterdam, that that would have been the summer of 98. Okay. Uh, and, uh, the Paradiso from what I recall, they had like a 24 a track recording studio in the building or something. So that was how they recorded that. And then I don't know if he, if he got a truck or whatever, but, uh, uh, we re- also recorded a show in, in, uh, London, Shepherds Bush, um, and John Bon Jovi came and sat in on a song or two of that which i assume was also recorded um, and to answer your question about why it never came out i have no idea
1: okay so 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 you're you're not aware of any politics where they said hey you got to come back and do the crush record with bon jovi and we don't want you competing in the market i mean cuz that does happen not not that it happened in this case but so the,
2: yeah i i i don't know i you know i I hear rumors about those kinds of things, but I don't know,
1: you know, if that's really
2: true or, you know, you know.
1: Well, let me me put it to you this way then. Have you heard the recordings? Do do they sound releasable or was it, uh, and not to to insult anyone, but was it such a mess that they couldn't use it or was it so great that you don't know? I mean, where are we? Was it a great recording?
2: I have have never heard the recordings. I I just know that they were recorded on, um, multi-track so they should be usable, they should be mixable and certainly now with Pro Tools you can transfer it all in there and fix whatever you want if you want to do that. Uh, I don't know why it never came out. I, you know, I I do remember after those shows, especially the one in Amsterdam, that everybody felt that they were really good performances and uh you know that there would that there would be a lot of good material on there uh, i remember talking to richie about that and you know i i don't know why he never did it or, or maybe he will at some point i i i think it would be great you know the band was really really a fun band we had chasm Sultan from uh you know todd Rundgren and meatloaf he was a bass player and tommy mandel from brian adams band was a keyboard player and uh, richie super who co-wrote a lot of that music with richie uh sambora that was playing rhythm guitar and and uh we had three different percussionists in Japan. We had Everett Bradley. Uh, and in Australia, we had a girl named Joya Bruno. And then uh, in Europe, we had Crystal Talaferro, who uh, you may know from Bruce Springsteen and Billy Joel and uh, all kinds of people. She's she's a great percussionist, backup you know, a singer as well. And so that's who was on the stuff that we recorded in Europe. So it would be Crystal was on that stuff. And, you know, as far as I know, the the stuff sounded great. But, you know, like I said, I'd never actually heard any rough mixes or anything. I don't know if there ever were any. (laughs) I don't know. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to it.
1: Well, we'll have to uh, find somebody who knows and get that release because (laughs) on the Undiscovered Soul um Japanese side of, of, of releases. They released a two-CD version that has a, a Sambor from San Diego in 91 as a bonus disc with like six or seven songs. And that sounds uh-huh. spectacular. And so I'd love to hear what it sounds like with you playing drums on it and, and with that band. Oh. Because, uh, you know, anyway. Uh David Lee Roth. Uh, so let me get this right in the discography. He released a song called Nightlife. And there is a... um Uh, a whole bunch of CD singles that includes live tracks from Capitol studios in 1994. Are those, Mm -hmm. did you play on those tracks? Yeah. Okay. Because I I love the versions. There's a version of Panama. That's it's, it's fantastic. It's it's just sort of wild and loose and free and all over the place. And it's just, it's fun. It's just fun.
2: Yeah. Well, it was a good band. We, you know, that, that, uh, as you said, it was done at Capitol studios. That was, uh, actually like a live Westwood one performance. I think, I think it was like contest winners or something. Cause we had an audience there in the studio and it was going out over the radio and, and it wasn't done with the idea that we were making a record. You know, it was just, we were just playing for the, on the radio. And I didn't even know it was a record until a couple months later when I was, uh, we were in England and there was some, uh, flyers on the seats at one of the gigs about this new record featuring live tracks. And I was like, where did this come from? (laughs) I had no idea that there was even going to be a record, but anyway, it it became a record and that's it. It's called nightlife, I think. And uh, it's I think it was done sort of like as a limited edition, I think there's only like six or eight songs on the whole thing or something. Well, like that. yeah.
1: What, 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 in fact, it was is because I actually own it. I bought them because I'm a fan. Oh, okay. Um, uh-huh. the, it's, a, it's a two CD single collection uh, for the single. So Nightlife is on one and you've got Panama Live, Big Train Live, and Experience Live. That's disc one. Uh-huh. And then if you can find it, disc two has Nightlife, the single, of course, and then Jump Live and She's My Machine Live. And uh, when I make a Van Halen playlist, I always throw in that jump live and that Panama live because oh, they're well. just they're they're just fun. Uh, they're 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 loosey goosey. It, it's it's Dave having fun uh, lyrically. It's all over the place. It, it's just it's it's just <laughs> it's it's great. It's it's. You know, that's what music should do. It should put a smile on your face, and listening to those versions puts a smile on your face. Yeah. But, all right, talk to me a little bit about David Lee Roth, because, you know, my co-host here on the show is Alan Niven from, uh, mm-hmm. you know, he managed Guns N' Roses. He wrote most of the songs for Great White. He managed Great White as well. And he talked to me once about how David Lee Roth came off stage and said something exceptionally unfortunate to to Slash. Now, is that something that you were privy to? Did, did you hear that conversation at Donington or were you later on in, in the band?
2: Uh, yeah, I was only in Dave's band in 94, so I okay. wasn't at Donington. I didn't see you, that. Okay. So you didn't see that. I have that. a different slash story with Foreigner though.
1: <laughs> oh, so let's hear the slash story with Foreigner. Cause, uh, uh, that, that can, that, let's hear it. I, I, I don't know it. So let's hear it.
2: Oh, well, we were playing in Phoenix, um, on that tour with our Aria Speedwagon and, uh, and Frampton. And it was, you know, 4 million degrees outside or whatever, you know, and, uh, we were, it was an outdoor outdoor show at, uh, I think it, I think it was called Blockbuster Pavilion or something like that. And, uh, they had these air conditioning ducks on the stage for the performers. Anyway, Slash came and he's a super nice guy. He came before, uh, before we played and, you know, we worked out, he was going to play on hot blooded, um, which was the last song of the show. And, uh, you know, in between that time, he had a chance to knock a few back. (laughs) So, so when he, when he got on stage, he was, he was kind of, you know, he played great, but he just was, you know, kind of a little bit, a little bit less coherent than he was before the show. And so he started, the first thing he did was he smashed some of those air conditioning vents. (laughs) Yeah. He stood on top of a couple of the subwoofer cabinets which were in the pit in front of the stage with a big X on them. So you weren't supposed to stand on them. And the reason why is because they were on wheels. So he put one foot on one cabinet and one on the other one. And they started rolling like in opposite directions. <laughs> so the security guys were having to hold the, hold the cabinets there. So he didn't kill himself, which he didn't, you know, and it tur- it all turned out great. And it was, it was just fun. You know, He he was a really fun guy and, you know, just, it was it was just one of those things that you just laugh about, you know. But uh, anyway, yeah, there you go.
1: That's great. <laughs> now, uh, Van Halen, in 1996, released Best of Volume 1. David goes in and does uh, Can't Get This Stuff No More and Me, Wise Magic. How far back, or, or were you privy to them in 94 or 95, reaching out to Dave? Were, were, was was the Van Halen discussion going on at that time when you were in the band, were you hearing rumors of there might be a reunion, there might be these songs or uh, did you have any knowledge of any of that? No, not
2: really. You know, Dave, you know, he was kind of on his own little thing, you know, we were just in the band basically, you know, so I didn't, I didn't hear any of that stuff. I mean, not that, Not that it wasn't discussed among some people, maybe it was,
1: but not with me. So, so I didn't know any of that. Didn't know any of that. Now, so when you look at, so so talk to me just real quickly about being sort of a, uh, and is is the appropriate term a hired gun musician, or is that disparaging? That that, that's it's the right term. They they made a they made made a a whole movie called Hired Gun. (laughs)
2: Yeah,
0: I know. Yeah,
2: no, I. I, uh, yeah, I guess, I guess that would be the appropriate term. You know, it, there's a difference between being a hired guy, you know, where, where, uh, you know, somebody owns the the company or whatever you want to call it, you know, um, um, and, and being a band member where, where you're, where you're a co-owner of the company, you know? And so when I was in the storm, I was a band member with, you know, an equal member with Greg Raleigh and Ross Valerie and and Kevin Chalfant and Josh Ramos. at big Steve Smith's place in that band, actually. Um, and so, you know, if there's any ongoing royalties for that, you know, we all participate in that, you know, songwriting royalties are separate, but, you know, any, uh, but, but, you know, when you're hired to play in a, on a, on a tour, you know, or, or, you know, with a band or whatever, that's, you're just, you're paid your salary or whatever. And, 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 you know, you paid for recordings or, or, or whatever you whatever's you do, but you're not an owner of the company, you know, like foreigners business is owned by Mick, you know, and, and, uh, you know, so everybody that works for that band is, is basically on one level or another is hired, you know, of Mick and Lou, I suppose when Lou was in it, but now that Lou isn't in it, he's, I know he's doing some reunion stuff with them, but it, it's uh it's you know it's it's mixed company
1: you know, Foreigner so, uh, Inc
2: or whatever it's called. Foreigner
1: Inc. Yeah. Well, Foreign probably Foreigner Music Inc or something. Just uh, real quick uh, on on the storm, a couple albums come out. You you tour uh, in support of Brian Adams in in early '92. Mm-hmm. What was sort of the? How can I put this? The band was put together. Was was it meant to be sort of a super group and we'll do a couple of albums and and then we'll go back to our regular bands? or was it a perception that listen journey is slowing down and 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 Greg is not in you know uh, was this to be the next big thing or was this sort of a pickup band and we're just going to have some fun and make a couple albums what what was sort of the the game plan for the storm
2: well i think you know i wasn't there in the very beginning as i said steve smith was was the drummer on the first record i did the second record and I co-wrote a couple of songs and of the,
1: them but i uh, have the storm
2: i have the, the storm right yeah um, so, but uh, you know, at that time, I think it, the seeds for that were around nineteen ninety. I was in Shares band at that time and and uh um you know, it was sort of like journeys sort of not really doing anything, and Neil and Jonathan were off doing bad mm-hmm. english and um and so you know kevin uh Shelfont and Greg had written some stuff and and it got played. Uh, For Herbie Herbert, who was Journey's manager, and then uh, played for uh, a couple of the folks at Interscope Records, Jimmy Iovine and um, uh, Bo Hill and and, uh, Ted Field. And uh, my understanding was that, you know, they felt like this was, you know, this could be sort of like a continuation of Journey. It had three Journey members and, and Kevin sounds a lot like Steve Perry and uh so it could be a continuation of that, and then you know initially, there was some success with that. um The first couple of singles did did all right, and we opened for Brian Adams, we opened for Peter Frampton, we did a bunch of touring, and so you know we it was going all right, and we we made the second record for Interscope that was done you know when we were still signed to interscope but that we made that record in nineteen ninety three it didn't get released for another three years, but in the interim, what happened really was that Interscope sort of shifted direction. You know, that was when, you know, grunge and rap and stuff started to become more prominent. And, you know, we, we, that type of music, you know, melodic rock or whatever you want to call it was sort of out of favor at the moment. So they just elected not to release it. Um, and, uh, even though they'd paid for it. And then eventually they, they gave us the masters and we were able to get it released on it. Some independent labels. It's actually released on three different labels. One in Europe, it was under a label called music for nations. And then, um, in Japan it was called Avex, Bear bare knuckle or something like that. And then, uh, uh, I don't even remember the name of the label in, in the U S that released it, but, um, it was three different releases and it was over the course of like 96 through 98. I think that that thing eventually saw, you know, saw, uh, the light of day, if you will, but you know, never with the backing of a major label or, or touring. And by the, you know, by the time that we were able to release it, we'd all moved on. You know, I was, I went and played with Dave and then I went and played with foreigner and Greg did a praxis pool and, uh, Ross went back with journey and, you know, it's all, you know, all kinds of other things happen. So the band has sort of, you know, ceased to exist. To exist it still exists. I mean, it still exists from a legal standpoint, you know, we still, you know, uh, we've, you know, if we get some money every once in a while for, uh, for, you know, it gets played or gets spun on Spotify or whatever, you know,
1: but, okay. uh, the, but the, the entire zero, 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 zero point six, uh, cent, uh, yeah, exactly, yeah.
2: It. Every couple of years, you can buy yourself lunch.
1: <laughs> yeah, if you're lucky. Um, But just real quick, mm-hmm. because we're, we are approaching 40 minutes, so l- let me just quickly get back to, to David Lee Roth. What was that tour like? What was it like touring with Dave? Did did he come in and, and was sort of the musical director and told you what to do and how to do it? Did he just sort of give you the Van Halen albums and say, go learn this? Um, was it easy? Was it difficult? Was was he sort of a nice boss? Was he a prima donna? What 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 was sort of the that vibe in the Roth camp? Um. Well, it was it was challenging.
2: <laughs> I'll just say that he. You know, I love all that music. You know, I, I mean, I was always a fan of all the Van Halen stuff. So playing that stuff was just. Yeah, it was great it was a lot of fun to do that when i actually auditioned for Dave, it was at his house in the basement and uh he wasn't in the room for the audition i just played with the bass player and the guitar player which at that time was terry kilgore and Danny hunting was the bass player um and then i unbeknownst to me he was upstairs listening <laughs> he came down at the end of it he says oh, you know that was when he hired me but uh you know i mean as with anything, there's good times and bad, but it was difficult. You know, Dave is, uh, he's a unique guy and, uh, you know, there was some, some challenging aspects to it. As far as learning the music, you know, we just basically, you know, learned it as, as best we could. And, and, uh, there was one time when he got mad at me because we learned, uh, I think it was dance the night away or one of those songs we learned like that day at Soundcheck, and And so I had a couple of cheat sheet notes that I stuck on a drum to my left just to make sure I didn't screw it up. And uh, he got mad that I had that there. And I was just like, dude, I'm just trying to play your song the right way. (laughs) Would you prefer I screw it up? I don't know, you know, but uh, yeah. So uh, there were, there were some things that were challenging about, about that. I, I, I think he was maybe going through some stuff then too, but you know, he's, as everybody knows, he's 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 a quirky guy, you know. Yeah, um. he's, a,
1: he's a little bit quirky. So right, let me let me just move on here for a second here. Like, like I said, so you, you've done David Lee Roth, Cher, Sam Bohr, Foreigner, CCR, Greg Raleigh, Storm, uh, Denny Lane, etc. What was your best experience and, and why it was it just sort of financially it was a good situation was it just musically it was just the music you preferred to play sort of you know if there's one band you could go back with or one band that you know Dave men and ketty of course from Y and T where would you like to go back and just that was it that, that was that moment that that everything was the way it should be for for a touring or a, you know a hired gun wow. musician. <laughs> um, gosh, the, you know, I could answer that question, the different ones for
2: different reasons. You know, Farner was amazing. Just what a catalog, you know, um, Sambora, same thing. Great catalog, amazing musicianship, really fun to play. Greg is, you know, I think probably on a musicianship level, just, you know, it's, it's a different thing than playing you know, straight rock stuff when you're doing all the, the uh, Santana stuff with, with all the percussion and, you know, it's a different approach than just, you know, the standard rock stuff. So, uh, you know, I, I've, I went to Berkeley in in Boston many years ago. In fact, Tom Gimbel from Toronto, we were, we we met at Berkeley when we were 17 years old, but anyway, uh, um, uh, you know, so I've played some jazz and some of that stuff actually came into play playing with greg you know and and so there was more musical stretching with that i guess you'd say and uh, you know musically diverse so that was really great and a, and a super great bunch of guys that uh, that really love being together and having a great time we used to get people coming up to us all the time saying god you guys look like you're having such a great time and it's because we were you know we we really enjoyed each other's company and you know touring can be difficult you know you're uh you're dealing with different personalities and you know that's half the battle is getting getting along with everyone and and having a you know having it be fun and and so you know it's it's difficult to pick just one you know but but um if I could put them all together somehow you know (laughs) that would that would be great but uh I don't know I've been very fortunate I I have no complaints I've played with some amazing musicians played amazing catalogs of music with the people who created it. And, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very lucky. So
1: yeah, you can't uh, complain. And I, I'm going to say that, that for you may probably maybe doing the foreigner stuff, because that was sort of a band situation. Whereas when you're with Richie Sambora, he's out front and it's Richie's band. And when you're, and, and, yeah. and I'm not saying that foreigner is not mixed band. We, we know it's mixed band. But it's True. still, this is Foreigner 1996, or this is Foreigner whatever, and it's presented yeah. as a band, whereas the other ones, is like, no, no, I'm Cher, and you're in the back, and I'm David <laughs> right, right? And, and I don't mean that to be to be mean to them, but listen, that, no. that's what it is. From a fan's perspective, that's what it is. And so with Foreigner, you're playing Hot Blooded and Dirty White Boy, and you're yeah. you're a band you're a catalog the the fans are 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 eating it up that that just must have been incredibly spectacular and, and i hope for you it was great and i really hope for you that the songs that are that were recorded uh get released and and i know like i said before 2019 there's a blitz of stuff coming and hopefully maybe mm-hmm. fingers crossed that some of the stuff you played on gets its due it's it's day yeah, in the sunshine Would be absolutely. I
2: I think they're good songs, and so uh, I think they stand up to the foreigner, uh, you know, litmus test if you want to call it that.
1: So. Oh, listen, like yeah, Uh, I've heard them. Um, I think they're fantastic. I think Lou's voice on them is great. I think the songs Mm -hmm. are exactly what foreigners should be. They are. and I know people get all, oh, but it's radio friendly. It's radio friendly yeah. rock and nothing That's wrong with them.
2: And by the way, was, I think, if I'm not mistaken, I think it's the last stuff that Lou recorded before he got sick. Yes. So um, his voice was in really excellent form at that time, too.
1: And the band was tight. Uh, now, yeah. did those tracks include Bruce Turgeon? Yes, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Bruce. It's Bruce. Uh, me jeff jacobs mick and lou
1: yeah uh, bruce is great Bru- bruce is is the, the the man he's the he's lou graham's uh, shadow basically he's fantastic <laughs> well they grew up
2: together you know they're both from the same area they were in uh black sheep um, black sheep right together and yeah and, and, and they the solo did, band uh, the solo stuff and, and shadow king shadow
1: and and yeah. all of that stuff
2: uh so let's hey i got a i got a quick piece of share trivia for you
1: yes go ahead
2: there are two members of the band that i played in with share that are members of the rock and roll hall of fame neither one of them are share
1: do you know which do you know who they are uh well you mcdonald yep uh who else is in the rock and roll hall of fame that might have played with share well i mean uh richie sambora played on their albums does that count
2: no, no, I'm just talking about the touring band.
1: Okay, so But yeah, I, I mean. So three technically, right? Cuz uh uh what was that album that uh that Richie played on? Um oh god. Hold on. This is why we have computers in front of us so we can quickly look it up. <laughs> uh R- Richie Sambora, Sam. I can't spell Sambora. I I I am getting that tired. Um but we, okay, so who who are they? And then I I I will dig up the share yep. stuff.
2: The other the other person that was on that tour with us was Darlene Love. Oh right, right. See? And she's 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 in the Hall of Fame. But it's, it's I think it's funny that, you know, Darlene and, and Hugh are both in the Hall of Fame. You know, Hugh with Bon Jovi of course, but Cher isn't. Which it's I find sort of strange. <laughs> yeah. You know, and... When you have like Madonna and all these other girls in there. Yeah. You know? Of course Pat Benatar isn't in there either, which is really weird, but
1: well, listen. Con- considering some of the bands we've mentioned, isn't it per- particularly strange that Foreigner is not in there? I mean, well, sure. I yeah. Mean, give me a break. You look at their record. <laughs> you look at their record sales, and let's not forget the, the the fun fact that they are the only band that I know of, at least, where their first five records, from debut album, sophomore album, first, first five records were top five. On the Billboard uh, 200 album chart. That's not something to sneeze. You know, not not top 20, not top 40, top five. First five albums yeah. are all top five, and they're not good enough for the Hall of Fame. Oh, I know, <sighs> I know. Give me a break. It, there, Give it, me a, a
2: break. I'm sure, there's a lot of lot of acts, you know, <laughs> singers and bands that we could talk about, but yeah, Farn is right up there. They absolutely should be in there, and it's a, it's a travesty that they're not.
1: It really. You know, not that,
2: it, that wouldn't. That wouldn't mean anything for me. I, you know, I wouldn't be in, inducted. I wasn't an original member. But, but I do think that uh, you know they should have. They should be acknowledged in that way. Absolutely.
1: They really should be. And, and listen, w- w- them and journey and, well, let's just say them and journey combined probably invented what we call melodic rock or sort of a Mm -hmm. you know so so for them to not be recognized as genre leader anyway whatever um just just real quick here let us remind the folks ron Wixo r-o-n-w-i-k-s-o dot com is where we can check out more of ron and uh, sir absolute absolute pleasure and uh, I love hearing those stories and I love hearing stories of what I would call working musicians because oh thanks to, to, to learn all those different bits and to you know that that's got to be challenging to, to, to go in there because Cher is not sambor and Sambora is not foreigners so it, it's it, and CCR and, and so on and so forth so oh
2: yeah it, it
1: takes skill yeah the
2: CCR stuff I had to learn the whole show in like two days and then I had to play the first show with no rehearsal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was that was fun. Um, but yeah, stylistically, all those gigs are you know there's some similarities, but they're all very different. You know, the feel of CCR is totally different than the feel of you know David Lee Roth or Foreigner or something. And so, you know, it's a, it's it's part of what makes it fun though too. You know, you you get to you know try different things and you're not doing the same thing over and over again. So I've, uh, yeah, as I said, I've been very lucky. I've played with a lot of great musicians, a lot of legendary musicians in a lot of different situations. And so knock on wood, I'm, uh, I can't complain.
1: <laughs> Cannot complain. Again, Wixocom uh, yeah. Sir, absolute pleasure. Thank you so, so um, much.
2: Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Absolutely, and uh, yeah. yeah, keep me keep me posted on whatever else is uh, coming out, and uh, we'll 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 do this again.
2: Okay, sounds great, Mitch. Thanks. Cheers. Have a good one. You too. Bye bye. Bye bye.
0: You're listening to Rock Talk with Mitch Lafond. Rock Talk.